Heavenly Father, would you come by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you grace us with illumination? Would you breathe on our minds so that we would humbly receive your words and be transformed by them as your people? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you are just kind of trickling in in the back, I, I want to say again, good morning. Um, my name is Evan. My wife, Sandy, and I, we're, we're, we're pastors here, and we have the joy of leading the church alongside a fantastic team. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, we are in 1 Corinthians, you guys. It's this ancient letter, an old letter, written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing to this little church in the big city, and this little church is forgetting who they are. So Gordon Fee, famous scholar guy, he called the ancient city of Corinth the New York, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas of the ancient world. So Corinth was a hotspot for materialism and greed and pluralism and tourism and tons of wealth, huge sex industry, loud political rallies, people arguing about stuff everywhere. We don't know anything like that here, do we? Um, no, it's like a lot like our culture, Corinth. It's crazy, actually. And all of that culture was creeping into the family of God. And Corinth, the church in Corinth was beginning to look like the city. And so here in chapter 6, Paul is saying, Hey, family, you're forgetting your identity and your reward. As followers of Jesus, you guys, if you're a follower of Jesus, your identity is forgiven and loved children of God who will one day inherit the whole earth and judge alongside Jesus. This is our identity. And, and this is who we are. But instead of understanding this, this church was suing each other and, and fighting about little you know, civil claims. And, uh, and Paul's like, no, no, you're forgetting who you are. And they're also forgetting their future, that, that one day their physical bodies will be raised, as Drew led us in praying, like our physical bodies will be raised from the dead and joined with Jesus's own body, some mysterious way we can only dream about. But this church was forgetting that reward, and instead they are fully given to sexual immorality, to use Paul's word, sexual immorality, which... Biblically, it's defined as sex. A loose definition would be sex with someone you are not married to. And we're going to get more into that next week because here's what's happening. Instead of thriving as God's loved children, this church was trading their credibility for the illusion of control and trading their future reward for temporary pleasure. And Paul's main point in this last line, if you, if you fast forward to the end of the chapter, this is the point. You are not your own. This is good news, you guys. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is his summary statement at the end. You're not your own, which is the flip side of Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is Lord, then you are not your Lord. You are not your own. And if that feels offensive to us, then we're hearing Paul correctly. This felt just as confrontational for them as it does for us today. So here's the plan. Here's the plan. This chapter has two parts. We're going to do it in two weeks. First half, part one, verses one through nine, today. In the, and it's this. In the new family of Jesus, we shouldn't take each other to court. Interesting thing Paul's talking about. Because number one, it looks bad for the gospel. And number two, our stuff isn't even our own. 
And number three, when Jesus makes all the things new again, we'll be given authority and ownership over all of it. This is Paul's logic here. This is part one today. And then part two is verse nine through 20 next week, where Paul's like, and also in the new family of Jesus, we avoid sexual immorality at all costs because number one, our bodies aren't our own, contrary to popular opinion. And number two, they've been purchased. Our bodies... These bodies have been purchased by Jesus, which leads to number three, when Jesus makes everything new again, uh, he will raise these bodies because they're his, and he will join us all together in perfect communion, physically, and join us to himself eternally. This is our reward, you guys. So, so... Welcome to Park Hill. It's Paul on lawsuits and fornication. Welcome to church. It's awesome. And remember, Scott said a couple weeks ago, this part of the Bible is a family conversation. It's a family conversation around Jesus's table. You see the, here I have over here, the bread and, and the cup, which means we're at Jesus's table. And when Paul writes these letters to these churches, he's laying out the house rules of God's family. Um, this is the way of Jesus. And we believe Jesus when he says his way leads to life to the fullest. We don't just follow Jesus because it's right or gives us a sense of doing right. We follow Jesus because we actually believe he says with him is what he calls life to the full. And, and, and so we believe Jesus when he says that following his way means obeying his teachings. Teachings about money, and forgiveness, and sex, and singleness, and marriage, and nonviolence, and prayer, and fasting, and the list goes on. And so Paul is like a Yoda master teacher in the Jesus way. And he writes all these letters to, this, to these communities who are saying that they want to follow Jesus, but they're losing their way. So these letters are reminders of the house rules. So Paul's speaking clearly to Corinth here, and we can hear it as San Diegans. He's calling the church to stop living against the grain of the kingdom. And so this message is ultimately for Jesus followers, Christians, who have chosen Jesus' way, but for whatever reason, aren't living it. So he's holding us to our commitments here. In other words, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, like you've never committed to Jesus, well, guess what? You're welcome to join the family, but until you do, the invitation is open and you're an honored guest, like sitting at the table, like pull up a chair, we'll spoon you up some casserole and, and we'll wash the dishes. This isn't your house yet. Like, but if you want it to be, if you want life to the full, you're more than welcome to join. But this is a message to the house and, and, and in this house is life to the full. So you understand that dynamic. It's very important to communicate that aspect. Um, so... Uh, we're going to quickly walk through the first half of 1 Corinthians 6 now. We'll think about what it means for us, and we'll, we'll eat and drink. How does that sound? Good? Okay, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1. If any of you has a dispute with one another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? 
Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you're going to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more things of this life? Okay, right away, this is a strange text. Jesus followers are not supposed to take each other to court over like small claims or property stuff over our rights in the family of God. And here's Paul's reason, because we are going to judge the world and angels. Don't ask me what that looks like. (laughs) That's nuts. That's crazy. What is going on here? So wild. Where does Paul get this stuff? Actually, Paul's getting it from his Bible. Okay, so our Old Testament was Paul's Bible. And specifically, in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, it's this ancient prophet who had this vision where, quote, the people of the Holy One of the Most High, that's us, the future people of God, where we get to share the Messiah's authority over realms of angels and humans. (laughs) Crazy. Like, it's wild that the scriptures say this. This is our future, you guys. This is our future. We're not there yet, but we will be. And again, no idea what that'll look like. Only God knows. But here's Paul's logic in Corinth in this letter here. His logic is, okay, if Jesus rose from the dead, then he's that Messiah. And if Jesus is that Messiah, then the people who belong to Jesus are those true people of God who will judge the world in the ancient prophecies with Jesus. And so if we're those people who are going to be ruling alongside Jesus, then we should at least be able to handle family fights. That's his logic here. Um, So stop suing each other, he's saying. Um, Because their culture in Corinth was just as full of litigation as America. Um, This is Paul's thought process. And he goes on in verse 4. So look at verse 4. He says, Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, the pause... Therefore, if you have disputes about these matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Wow, that's harsh. Is it possible that there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Wow. So, first of all, notice Paul is like, hey, don't get me wrong. Disputes will happen in the church. Fighters going to fight. Like, humans are going to human, okay? Disputes will happen in the church. There's no if in the Greek here. It's more like when you do have a dispute. Are you seriously taking it before a secular court? Really, guys? That's Paul's attitude here. And he literally says in verse 5, shame on you. As a play on words, because for Paul, two of God's kids fighting in a secular court, it actually brings shame on the gospel in the eyes of the world. And so Paul, it's not that he has a thing against lawyers. It's not, you know what I mean? 
Like he doesn't have a thing against lawyers or the legal system or lawsuits in general at all. He's just saying very clearly that the new family of Jesus, that's us, the church filled with the spirit, we represent a different sphere entirely. The kingdom of God, to use Jesus' word. And we will be ruling and judging all of creation. Don't, I don't even know what that'll look like. So many questions there. 100% more questions than answers on that. Um, but the point is, let's live that identity now. Let's shock the world with forgiveness now. So, so this is who we are. This is our identity. So church, family, do you know who you are? Do you remember who you are today? Are you coming to church sitting in this beautiful promenade? It feels so much better than last week. I was baking last week. And we're sitting here, and it's beautiful. And do you remember who you are? Do you know the truest thing about you right now? If you've surrendered your life to the crucified, risen king and agreed to live under his authority, then according to the scriptures, you are in Christ, united with Jesus himself, sharing in Jesus's love relationship with his father through the Holy Spirit. This means, you guys, that your true identity is loved daughter or son of God, the creator. Truest thing about you. More than your profession, or hey, uh, what do you do? And you give them your identity, you give them like, I'm an engineer. No, more than that, what you do primarily is receive love from the Father. That's your truest identity. Which means, which means, as God's loved kids, we have a job to do. This love gives us a vocation. We get to partner with God's spirit in bringing his kingdom of love into a world that is longing for meaning and hope and belonging. We are called into love, which means we're called into the work of racial justice and healing the sick and lifting up the oppressed. And guess what, you guys? A lot of that involves the legal system. <laughs> it involves being active in law. And, and so Paul would be all for legal action outside the church and defending the rights of the vulnerable and even under other believers who've been wronged. In fact, this is why Park Hill, this church... We've chosen to partner with Equal Justice Initiative, EJI, Brian Stevenson's organization. Uh, it's a nonprofit that provides legal representation to people who've been illegally or unfairly convicted of crimes, which ends up being a disproportionate number of people of color in many prisons. It's led by, like I said, Brian Stevenson, a committed, spirit-filled Christian, and we do this, we partner this way, because of our God-given call to live as his spirit-led community of justice and mercy. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. We're not going to get around to any of that stuff if the family is infighting. Fighting for our own rights and spending all our money on lawsuits against each other and our sense of entitlement or putting each other down or whatever in the family I mean, think of, think of how unhealthy it is. I know it has to happen. It, it happens in the world sometimes. But think of how unhealthy it is when relatives, actual siblings, sue each other. Like, this is, this is what's happened. The level of unhealth Paul is trying to tap into 
in this moment. So Paul's words speak directly to us today. In a culture that has normalized anger, monetized anger, and division, and getting even, to this culture, Paul says, hey, be the shockingly stable, peace-filled, forgiving family of God. Shock the unforgiving world with Jesus' forgiveness that he showed us on the cross while he was being executed by his enemies. Verse 7 and 8, this is the, the part that gets me. I don't even know how to do this all the time. Verse 7 and 8, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Man, Paul, tall order, Paul. He's like, instead of a lawsuit, when a, when a spiritual family member sins against you, instead of st- standing up for your rights, why not rather be cheated, defrauded? And we're like, seriously, Paul, that doesn't even jive with my idea of what it means to have rights. And Paul's like, hey, I didn't come up with it. I'm just riffing on Jesus right now. Like Sermon on the Mount, verse uh, 39 of chapter 5, he says, but I tell you, this is Jesus. He says, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. In other words, like him. This is the culture of the kingdom of God. The house rules at the table. You guys, Jesus' followers are called to live differently. And naturally, we want justice for others and mercy for ourselves, right? But we live differently. What does this look like? What does this actually practically look like? Evan, is this like let myself be robbed by Christians? Maybe. Maybe yes. Like, here's a story from my wife, my wife's parents. <laughs> um, so back in the 80s, 90s, when TVs had antennas and stuff, uh, a lady in the church is like, hey, can I borrow your TV? I'm out of a TV in between houses. And they're like, sure. You know, someone asked to borrow something in the church. I feel bad saying no. And so like, sure. And, and so when Sandy's parents asked for the TV back, the lady's like, nope, keeping it. Just, pure, just straight up. And, and her parents go to the pastor of the church, and the pastor goes to the lady, and the lady's still like, no, it's, it's like mine now. And so Sandy's mom is like, we, what do we do? Like, you have to act. Like, don't you have to do something about this? And, and her pastor's like, no, you're not going to do anything. Like, you've done all the things already. Uh, you confronted. You brought in the leadership of the church. And they took her to 1 Corinthians 6, where it says, why not rather be defrauded? Why not rather be cheated? And they're like, this is, this is the Jesus way. We absorb and forgive wrongdoing just like Jesus did. And so they just kind of let the TV go. And randomly, you know, this is just kind of funny. It's not like resolution, but the lady just randomly showed up two years later and said, all right, I'm done. Here you go. Two years. So, and they're like, okay, cool. There's our... TV back. Um, And when I hear that story, I'm like, what about the cheater? 
Like, it's all wrong. Justice, you should go get justice. But here's the deal. Do I really want justice? Do you? Do I really want justice to be done? Or do I want selective justice? Justice for those who wronged me. Because I, I definitely don't want justice done to me when I've wronged people. No, I'll take, I'll take mercy. Like, thank you very much. Mercy's awesome. Uh, especially if I feel sorry. I'm, thank you. Mercy. I don't want justice uh, for myself. As followers of Jesus, forgiven and redeemed by the blood of Christ, guess what? Exactly what we get is mercy. Because we're not our own. And Jesus can do what he wants with his things. We are his possession. He gives us unrelenting mercy. We're not our own. Our stuff isn't our own. And Jesus just lavishes mercy. We get the mercy of God that's new every morning. And don't get me wrong, you guys. There is absolutely consequence for sinful action, for sure. And, you know, but through repentance, we receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And the final judgment of God passes over us. It doesn't land on us. And we receive mercy and belonging in his family forever. So here's the house rule. Freely as we've received, we freely give. These are the manners of the king. I choose to be wronged. I choose to be cheated. And then I choose to be merciful in return. Um, this is what it looks like as a, as a general rule for Jesus' followers to live differently. You guys, following Jesus is hard. To follow Jesus, you're going to take the hit sometimes. This will cost you something, cost me something. The question is, are we ready to let that happen? And again, don't mishear me. We should absolutely confront one another in love. That's what all 1 Corinthians 5 was about, if you remember Scott's amazing teaching about confronting sin and dealing with the sin within the family. This is what Paul's going for here. But if that confrontation, hey, if it doesn't end the way you want, um, if it doesn't end the way you hoped, are you willing to let go, absorb wrong, and release mercy like you're made of the stuff? I don't know about you, but I hear this, and I'm like, sometimes I'm like, no way, I didn't, I didn't sign up for that. Like, I signed up for this Christian thing because God's supposed to love me, take care of me, provide me everything I think I need when I need it. And yes, God does take care of us and guide us and provide, usually in ways we don't expect. Uh, but here at the table of Jesus, with the bread and the cup, our center stage, we live differently. In Paul's words back in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, he says, we live like, verse 9, we live like we're at the back of the parade, condemned to die in the arena, fools for Christ. When we are cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. We've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment, Paul says. Why? Uh, to bring back to Paul's main point, because as followers of Jesus, we are not our own. We're not our own. Our stuff isn't our own, and as we'll learn next week, our bodies aren't even our own. Uh, we've been bought with a price, and when Jesus makes everything new, 
he will raise our bodies and give us the bodies we wished we always had to rule and reign alongside him. But right now, we're in the messy middle where it hurts to have a body and it hurts to own stuff in a temporary way. And while we're in the messy middle, we live like Jesus. That's the differentness. We live like Jesus. So the question that we're going to kind of end with is about five-ish minutes left of this talk that we're going to eat and drink. Question, what does this look like for you right now? How is the Spirit of God challenging your thinking? Do you have any relationships that might require surprising mercy? Think about that offense, that difficult relationship, and let the Spirit ask you, why not rather be wronged? So much of this letter, 1 Corinthians, has a anything for the gospel theme to it. So much of this letter. And so the next three verses, this is where we hit the hinge for next week. The next three verses, Paul zooms in on that idea of being wronged. It's awful to be wronged. Goes against the grain of our human nature to be wronged. But Paul zooms in this this idea of being wronged and doing wrong. He plays on this word. Wrongness goes two ways. And this is the hinge moment in the chapter. Paul's brilliant. For Paul, this is all about relationships. And he's forcing us to wrestle with the question, when things get tough, what is my personal responsibility in my relationships with God and my spiritual family? And so Paul's giving us a choice for these two weeks. When push comes to shove... Will I choose to be wronged or will I choose to do wrong? What will be my legacy? Because <laughs> for Paul, it's a given. Humans are going to human. Like, wrongs are going to be done uh, this side of Jesus' return, for sure. Uh, and we're in the messy middle where humans offend one another and where we sin and we cheat and we misuse the gift of sex, and we abuse one another and lie and gossip, Paul assumes that these things are going to happen, and when it happens, what's our posture before God and before our church? Here it is, verse 9. He says, (laughs) this is intense, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Yikes, Paul. What's going on here? For Paul, a wrongdoer, it's important we understand this word. It's someone who may think of themselves as Christian. They may love churchy stuff. They may check all the conservative religious boxes or all the progressive justice initiatives, but they're committed to ongoing, unrepentant, willful disobedience to the way of Jesus. This is the wrongdoer Paul's talking about. Ongoing, willful opposition to the teachings of Jesus. And Paul, he's about to list some sins as examples of wrongdoing. We're going to get into that list next week. But listen, the problem's not the sins themselves. The problem is this attitude behind perpetual, ongoing sin. 
from the beginning of chapter five all the way through chapter six, the problem Paul is getting at, and it's creeping into this church he's writing to, the problem he's getting at is this attitude that I want, it's this attitude, I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it, without thought for others, without any delayed gratification, in willful opposition to the way of Jesus and the scriptures. Let me be clear, this is not wrongdoers, it's not talking about Jesus followers who make mistakes. Understand that. It's not talking about Jesus followers who make mistakes, that's literally all of us. That's all of us. Uh, it's not talking about people who struggle with sin, it's good to struggle with sin. It's good to, if you're not struggling, there's a problem. Um, it's, it's not talking about people who have lapses into destructive behavior, even serious lapses. Paul is talking about people, these wrongdoers that won't inherit the kingdom, are people who make a profession of faith, but there never seems to be any kind of lasting substantial change, and they willfully oppose the teachings of Jesus. That's what Paul means by wrongdoer. And according to Paul, wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a hardcore statement. So many questions right now. Like when you, when you hear that not inherit the kingdom, what do you think about? Listen, don't think, don't think they won't. When you, when you think of, let's say, inherit the kingdom, let's think of it positively. What do you think about when you think about inheriting the kingdom? Don't think go to heaven when you die, okay? In fact, the popular phrase, go to heaven when you die, it's actually nowhere in the Bible. Uh, so wait, Evan, are you saying, what, do Christians go to heaven when they die? Yes, but technically only temporarily. It's, it's the intermediate state the Bible hardly ever talks about. When the, what the Bible talks about way more is the new heavens and new earth. The day God comes to earth and makes it new, fully new, this is the hope of the entire story. And he gets rid of all injustice and makes everything new again. So when the New Testament says followers of Jesus will inherit the kingdom, that means we get to be there when it all goes down. And so the other side, tragically, um, tragically, uh, it, it doesn't matter how you label yourself, whether you're religious, spiritual, Christian, atheist, gay, straight, conservative, progressive, doesn't matter what you label yourself. If you are a wrongdoer, committed to willful disobedience, then you will not be there when Jesus makes everything new. This is hard, clear communication from Paul. Major gut check moment in this letter. It's the first time he gets to this depth in his letter. And he says it twice. Wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what do we do with this? You guys, like, so heavy as the clock strikes ominously. Like, what do we do with this? Paul is forcing us to, like, wrestle in humility before God. As we move into communion now, just for, like, 10 more minutes, 12 more minutes, ask yourself, ask the Spirit, am I submitted to Jesus, choosing to be wronged, and extend the same forgiveness to others that I've received from Jesus? Or am I a wrongdoer? Am I a wrongdoer intentionally living against the grain of Jesus' kingdom? This is what Paul wants us to wrestle with today. Next week, Paul gets very specific 
about sexual morality and how that has a unique tendency to invade our own soul, here in the messy middle, by the power of the Spirit, we live differently. We live like Jesus. What does that look like for you right now? What relationships are coming up? What attitudes toward people or toward the teachings of Jesus are coming up? Think about that offense, that difficult relationship, and let the Spirit ask you, let the Spirit ask you, why not rather be wronged and give out mercy? Our rights died on a cross where we were bought by the blood of Jesus. You are not your own, Paul says. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So we're going to come to the table of Jesus now. Drew and Jimena are coming up. So my goodness, Paul, the apostle, master teacher in the way of Jesus, bringing down a word from God. Remember, this is a family conversation, you guys. Those of us who belong to this house, before we eat and drink, let's consider what the Spirit might be saying to us. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you reveal in us any of the things that have not aligned with you or your kingdom? And may this be a moment of repentance and gratitude. You invite us to life to the full. And yet we're so easily, and yet we're so easily deceived. We can deceive ourselves. We're so fragile. Human creatures are fragile. And so forgive us, empower us to step into life to the full and to agree with Jesus about reality. Come, Holy Spirit. Receive our hearts, renew our hearts. Forgive us, we pray. So I'm gonna lead us in eating and drinking after this song. Then we're gonna sing one after that and, and that'll be it. And church, this is the family meal. So let's just invite the spirit to kind of just look inside and just take a moment with Jesus. Jesus.